may have attended, and the primary reason that's liable to happen is that we intend for you to have a different experience here. What we do here, we've been doing for lots of years now, we take a look at the suggested instruction for a step or so a week directly out of this book, and we use this book in 12-step recovery, why? Yeah, the process described by the authors of this book has been proven to work for addicts of the hopeless variety, addicts to alcohol and other substances. So what I attempt to do is, is show you how I find my experience in the book and encourage you to have your experience with the book. And if we both do our job, we'll share a spiritual experience in this room tonight. How many of you have been here before and can witness for folks that does happen? So for those of you online, they raise their hand. For those of you who are sitting in here and have never seen this done, when they raise their hand, they're speaking to you of the sharing of a spiritual experience that is tangible and sensory. So when, when you feel something going on, I, I'll know and I'll call it to your attention. Because we would cheat you to talk to you about the power we call God without giving you a demonstration of the power. Fair enough? Yes. So tonight we're going to take a look at the third step decision. Um, you're going to learn as we grow in the spirit that all spiritual power is accessed through a decision. Yeah? And it's evidenced by a decision. right? Because you don't know that someone's made a decision until you start to see them moving in that decision. Correct? All right. So we're going to start in a chapter. How many of you have been to an AA meeting before? A few of you? <laughs> so in most AA meetings I've ever been to, we read a little portion that we're gonna go through tonight of chapter five entitled How It Works and they're describing the process that they go through and they're leading us through sort of the first step experience, the second step experience leading us to a third step decision which they lay out clearly throughout the chapter. Fair enough? So in chapter five it says, rarely have we seen a person fail who's thoroughly followed our path. So there's a promise there and a condition. Did you recognize the promise? What was it? Rarely have we seen someone fail. And who's the we they're talking about? The first 100. So this is their testimony. How many of you have been around the rooms for years and years and years and seen the people, maybe yourself, struggling? So we read that and go, what do you mean rarely have we seen a person fail? I see them fail every week. What's the condition? Thoroughly followed our path. Notice how they did not say paths. All these hundreds telling the story of several thousand thoroughly following one path. Interesting, isn't it? So then it says those who do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. So you might want to ask yourself, since it's such an important thing they're laying out, honest with yourself about what? Yeah, and they've, they've, they've tied that back to two, two very distinct points in the book about the experience of somebody absent spiritual or absent spiritual inebriation, absent substance, alcohol is a symptom, right, of a, a condition. So they've laid that out for us. Do you want to take a look? Do you want to go back? Let's go back to the doctor's opinion, XX, 
V-I-I-I, Roman numeral 28. And they're going to talk to us about our experience when we're merely abstinent from chemicals. And then we're going to take another look at what they replaced that need with. So it says, it says, men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. Yes! Any of you, if you're not drinkers, you, you may not, but how many of you can bring to consciousness right now the effect of whatever? Where's my opiate addicts? So you, you give yourself permission, just go get a script, even if you've been slamming heroin. If you're, if you're out long enough, anything will produce an effect, won't it? Where's my cocaine addicts? Don't, don't think on it too hard, you'll be running for the bathroom. trying to make a point. I know my cocaine addicts know what I'm talking about. Um, anyway, so then it says that the sensation is so elusive that while they admit it injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. How many of you knew your addiction was taking on more and more serious proportions? You knew you were in for some serious trouble, and yet, you would convince yourself, it's going to be different, I don't care. Okay. So then it says, to them, their alcoholic life seems the only normal one. How many of you got trapped so deep in the cycle of addiction that, yes, you saw other people living normal lives, but that was simply not a life available? It seems the only normal one. Yes? And then it says, if you relate to that, they are restless, irritable, and discontented unless they can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Drinks which they see others taking with impunity. So what they're promising us is if you're just believing, I'm not going to pick up no matter what. If you're believing that because you heard it, that's one thing. But in light of your experience, does that make any sense? Because does... Do you relate to being restless, irritable, and discontented when you found yourself abstinent? So that's not a sustainable condition if we're an addict of the hopeless variety, is it? I can't live years and years and years in that restlessness because I'll, I'll go find a way to get less restless. <laughs> okay, so that's the one, one of the things we got to be honest about. Now let's go to page 50. And they're going to tell us their testimony and the testimony of their experience with the first several thousand, which is the title of the book. The book, the book is always lovingly called the big book, but what it's really titled is Alcoholics Anonymous, the story of how many thousands of men and women have recovered from alcoholism. So they're telling you this is their testimony, which is why we shouldn't alter it. We should find ours in theirs, not change it, not add to it, not take from it. There's consequences to changing testimony. Any of you students of that other book? Yeah. Don't strike a word. Okay. All right. So it says, here are thousands of men and women. I'm on page 50, bottom, bottom of the page. Here are thousands of men and women, worldly indeed. They flatly declare that since they've come to believe in a power greater than themselves, to take a certain attitude toward that power and to do certain simple things, there's been a revolutionary change in their way of living and thinking. In the face of 
collapse and despair in the face of the total failure of their human resources, they found that a new power, peace, happiness, and sense of direction flowed into them. How many of you were sitting down with somebody and they introduced you to that power, peace, happiness, that sense of direction flowing in, and you couldn't put your words to it, you couldn't describe it, but you knew something was happening within you, and you remembered the experience, even if you don't particularly remember how to describe it, or anyone know what I'm talking about? So we're always supposed to introduce you to power and we're always supposed to call your attention to that power because when it flows through you and I'm there, I know. And my job as somebody who's been anointed to spread that power, as are all of you, it's our obligation to let people know when you feel different in my presence, that's his presence, not mine, that you feel. Does that make sense? So we do not remain abstinent, restless, irritable, and discontented in recovery. We don't struggle. We don't hang on no matter what. If you're doing that, you're doing it wrong. Does that make sense? What we do in 12-step recovery is we gain access to power. And that power expresses itself through us as power, peace, happiness, a sense of direction, flowing in, not dripping, not trickling, flowing. Some of you are feeling the flow now. Who's feeling the flow? That's the power in you. Does it make sense? Okay. So those are the two things we got to be honest about. And so it says, give yourself to this simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with themselves. If you have gotten honest with yourself about being restless, irritable, and discontented when you're resting on your laurels or when you're abstinent and you felt a little of the flow when we just described it and you're somewhere in the process of this manner of living, then you know you're not one of those that's naturally incapable. But you also know that if you're feeling it, and you are this addict of the hopeless variety, you're going to need to commit yourself to grow in that experience. Does that make sense? My experience with lots of years around recovery is either we grow or we go. Okay? All right, so it says, there are such unfortunates, they're not at fault, they seem to have been born that way. They're naturally incapable of grasping and developing a manner of living which demands rigorous honesty. So the manner of living is described in this book it's the program of recovery, and it doesn't have anything to do with meetings. Meetings are support. People go to meetings, they say, I'm in the program. That's, that's misleading. If you go to meetings, you're in the fellowship. If you're in this book and you're in this manner of living, then you're in the program. Does that make sense? And then it says, their chances are less than average. How many of you have met the people who never did the steps? Don't believe in how many of you have seen them stay there for years and years and years? Often quite miserable. How many of you have been that guy sitting there for years and years? <laughs> okay. So their chances are less than average, but it's possible. So you've got to ask yourself as we prepare ourselves for this decision, are you willing to bet on less than average or would you like some better odds? Would you rather have, rarely have we seen a person fail? Because the decision is, do I want, rarely have we seen a person fail, or less than average? Right. Does that make sense? 
Because when it's explained like that, it seems like kind of a silly decision. Of course, I'll take rarely have I seen a person fail. But that implies commitment on my part, doesn't it? It does. Because I've got to grow. Okay. So then it says, there are those two who suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders, but many of them do recover if they have the capacity to be honest. So how many of you have been in our rooms and met those people that have grave and emotional disorders? How many of you have stayed long enough to realize it's you? <laughs> Some people chuckle at that, but when we first get here, we don't think we belong. I don't want to be like those people. And as we grow in this, we find out, wow, was I restored from some crazy stuff. Yeah. Anyone else stuck, stuck around long enough to realize how it had to be something greater than you because you were certifiably loony? Anyone that knows me will tell you. I don't even have to tell the story. They'll tell it for me. All right, so our stories disclose in a general way what we used to be like. The reason I go through the step process is to learn what I used to be like, but because of a little condition called delusion, I didn't really know what I used to be like. I had to go through this process to learn that I was selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate. Yes? Anyone else? Okay. All right. So what happened? What happened? Eventually I encountered somebody who knew something about this process and this power. And they sat me down and encouraged me to come to myself and then come to believe just like they had done. Yes? And then what we're like now. Well, again, we still have a little condition called delusion in that area from some, for some period of time. But what I will tell you is I have an aspiration for what I'd like to be like now. And I know from other people's witness I'm considerably better than I once was. Does that make sense? Okay. So, so if you've decided you want what we have and are willing to go to any length to get it, then you're ready to take certain steps. So who's we? The first 100 who have recovered, and they're describing this flow of power and this new life that they have. If we want what they have, and we're willing to go to any length to get it, then we're ready. So we probably ought to go get a better description of what they have, huh? So you want to go to page 25? Page 25, middle of that page, they describe very succinctly what they have so that you can have an informed decision whether you're willing to go to any length or even certain lengths to get it, right? So it says the great fact is just this and nothing less, that we've had deep and effective spiritual experiences which have revolutionized our whole attitude toward life, toward our fellows, and toward, toward God's universe. <laughs> when we say God, you say and you got to remember that the people in the prison yards in Arizona and the people in Maricopa County Jail now see this on delay on their tablets. So when you yell, I need you to yell all the way to Kingman. So when I say God, you say, and you buy, we want to give them a shout out in Douglas and Kingman and Perryville. Tell them we got a house for them here. Yeah. 
got a family for you here. So I'd like you to focus on what the author said. We've had deep and effective spiritual experiences. It's not a one and done. My addiction was never a one and done. We will grow in consciousness, my awareness of being aware as a result of many experiences that prove the power to me, through me. Does that make sense? So I'm going to have to stay in the manner of living and grow in the spirit because I get more certain as I go. Yeah? So then it says the central fact of our lives today is the absolute certainty that our creator has entered into our hearts and lives in a way which is indeed miraculous. Now I got to go back. Do any of you were here last week. We talked about the demographics of this book. Half of them were atheists or agnostics declared. Believe that God could not be proven to exist or there was no God. One of the two, they were def definite about it. But all 100 came to believe the absolute certainty that God dwells in me and lives through me. Think about the power of that testimony. That's one thing for a believer to say that. But for someone who was an acknowledged atheist to say that today they're absolutely certain that God dwells in me. Power lives through me. You know why we want that kind of certainty? Any of you guys addicts of the hopeless variety or thought you might have been? Tell me what you were absolutely certain about in your active addiction. If I can get to the trap house, I can feel different. That's what I felt. That's what I was certain about. Anyone with me? Didn't matter what the consequences were. Just get me to the dope man. Yes? And we'll worry about the consequences later. I got a whole run, run, bunch of stories to tell after that. So nothing other than that sensory experience that I can already bring to consciousness is going to change that except a, a superior experience, is it? And that's their witness. We have come to believe based on a superior experience more powerful than our addictive disorder. Half of them were atheists or agnostics. I would, it, no matter what you believe, when you're sitting in here in the sound of my voice, let that resonate in your spirit. Yeah. All right, he says, he has commenced to accomplish those things for us which we could never do by ourselves. How many of you have seen that happening already in your life? So it says, if you're seriously alcoholic as we were, we believe there is no middle of the road solution. We were in a position where life was becoming impossible and if we had passed into the region from which there is no return through human aid, we had but two alternatives. One was to go on to the bitter end, blotting out the consciousness of our intolerable situation as best we could, and the other to accept spiritual help. So they're not telling us we have a choice. They told us we've lost the power of choice. So faced with a decision, I either can try and stay high enough to block how miserable I am for as long as I have to live in it, or I can reach out and take this spiritual help that I'm so afraid to receive. Anyone with me? Because we're just now talking about the tangible. Some of you felt it. I felt you feel it. That's really the depth and weight 
of the decision we're making. But we're not making it because of our saintly nature. We're making it because we are defeated. Yes? Okay. So it says then you're ready to take certain steps. So those of you who went on that journey and you felt that, we're reminding you of the encounter you had in two. You felt the weight of that decision. Then you're ready. Okay? And then it says that some of these we balked. So they immediately call our attention to that inventory maybe we're afraid of, but probably more, we're not less afraid of the inventory than we are about telling somebody what we find. Yeah. Or we know what we're going to find and we're afraid to happen to pay it all back. Yeah. Or you think yourself inadequate in some way and you're afraid of having to grow and go help others. I've heard of people stopping it too many times because they were afraid of something further up the ladder. And what I would suggest to you is stay in the step you're in. It's quite possible that you'll be in your step 12 before you have a step two experience. It's possible. At least one that you know for real in you. Okay. So in some of these we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way. But we could not. With all the earnestness at our command, we beg of you to be fearless and thorough from the very start. So they're leading us to this decision, and the first step of action in the decision is what? A searching and fearless moral inventory of me. I'm going to have to go inward. I've been looking outside of me for ease and comfort all my life. All I need to do is change my circumstance. I just need to change my job, my relationship. I, got, I just got to change this, and then I'll feel better. And they said, no, nah, none of that's true. What you got to do is go in, side yourself, and find out who you are. Come to yourself. Yeah? And in the process of finding you, you'll also find him. Does that make sense? Who's feeling that? I feel a lot of you feel it. Okay. All right. So... Some of us have tried to hold on to our old ideas, and the result was nil until we let go absolutely. So how many of you have tried to hold on to your old ideas, and how many of you have concluded you really don't even know what your old ideas are? <laughs> One of the things you learn about helping others is when you start helping others, you're confronted with your old ideas. And you can't be useful when you're judging so you lay aside your old ideas with the help of this power and you start growing in consciousness of this power in and through you as you're learning what's in your way of becoming who you want to be. So then it says, remember that we deal with alcohol, cunning, baffling, powerful. Without help, it's too much for us. But there is one who has all power. That one is? God. That one is God. May you find him now, they say. Now, when they say that, they assume that you've read up to this point. So you're not looking to me. You're not looking to the church. You're not even looking to a book. You're looking within you for power, which is the signature of this power we call God. Within. So when they're wishing you 
to find God. When did they suggest you do that? Now. How many of you knew you needed to get high and waited later than now to go get it done? Any of you hopeless like me? Like this is not going to go well? I'm going to be in some deep shit when I do this. But oh well. Saddle up, cowboy. We going. Half measures availed us nothing. How many of you kind of surveyed your life and thought, half measures got me about half? <laughs> we can be deluded into thinking that. How many of you got to the other side of half measures and realized what you were missing? We stood at the turning point. We asked his protection and care with complete abandon. The old timers would tell you that's the second step prayer. You can't ask protection and care with complete abandon if you don't already have a tangible experience of why you would do such a radical thing. You just, you won't. That's why two comes before three. Here are the steps we took which are suggested as a program of recovery. So now they're going to walk us through the test, the 12 step process. I'm not going to go through all of that. I'm going to go over to page 60 after they've had the whole process explained to them. But believe me, what we're supposed to do, people cannot enter into a conscious relationship without examining it with their logical senses. So we owe them an explanation. Yes, you are going to look inside yourself and you're going to find out all the things that are blocking you off, resentments, fears, relationship misconduct, whatever is keeping you out of, out of light of the spirit. And then you're going to go make restitution for harms done. And you're going to grow in prayer and meditation so you can stay awake more of the time. And you're going to take that power within you that redeemed you and you're going to go share it with the world. Does it make sense? And, and no, you can't skimp on any of it because the essence of the decision is complete abandon. I have no life worth living, and now that you've come into me, I live for you, and you live in and through me, and wherever you want to go, I'll go. Does that make sense? Okay. So, the first thing they acknowledge is that's a tough decision to reach. Many of us exclaimed, what an order, I can't go through with it. How many of you wouldn't have said it quite that way, but you thunk it? It does sound like a lot, doesn't it? Because some of us are carrying some baggage. And some of us egoically thinks we've done something that no one's ever done before. Anyone in that class here? I'll tell you what I always tell all of mine. If it's got a name, you didn't invent it. Okay. So what they say is, do not be discouraged. No one among us has been able to maintain anything like perfect adherence to these principles. We're not saints. The point is that we are willing to grow along spiritual lines. The principles we've set down are guides to progress. We claim spiritual progress rather than spiritual perfection. Now, there's been a lot of speculation. What are these principles they're talking about? They're just contained in the steps. Everything that's come after this came after this. 
So the steps, the promises of the steps, the levels of consciousness that are described as promises within the steps, and the steps themselves are the principles. Does that make sense? So are you willing to adopt a manner of living which requires you to start looking at your thoughts before you act, questioning your own thinking, growing in conscious relation with a power within you? And if you are willing to do that, then you're fit to service. Does that make sense? And it is in the service that your consciousness will be improved. Okay. So it says our description of the alcoholic, the chapter to the agnostic, and our personal adventures before and after make clear three pertinent ideas. A, that we were alcoholic and could not manage our own lives. Notice how they made me cop to that in one, but they didn't let me experience it until two. Right? They told me to admit to powerlessness and unmanageability, but they didn't even tell me what the unmanageability was until I was going through my second step experience. Pray to misery and depression. All that stuff, yeah? So they got me to enact a little act of faith just to start the journey. Does that make sense? They, the faith had to have been in me, but they got me to step out in it in that admission. That probably be that probably no human power could have relieved our alcoholism. How many of you didn't know anything about A, but B, you were pretty sure you had done everything you could do to relieve your alcoholism, and you weren't doing any good at blotting out the consciousness of your intolerable situation, so you had to receive spiritual help, and then were surprised at what an uplift that was. Because a lot of us are so afraid of it that we don't even know what's happening to us till. We're further along in the journey. Any of you realize that you were doing better before you knew you were doing better? That God could. We got to do that again. That God could and would if he were sought. That's pretty emphatic, isn't it? I got to be convinced of that. That's what they say. All right. So then it says being convinced. We're at step three. Right. So, being convinced of what? The paragraph up above. Those three, A, B, and C. Now, let's get honest with ourselves. Were any of us really convinced to the level we're convinced now, or was it an act of faith because we saw it in others? Why is faith without work such an important text in here? Because it was their example that led me so go ahead and walk into the unknown and into my miracle. And if someone didn't do that for me, I'd still be out there in my death. Anyone know what I'm talking about? So then it says, being convinced we're at step three, which is that we decided to turn our will and our life over to God as we understood him. Now, I need to be careful there because over the years, people have said, this is the God of your understanding. That's not what they said. Don't cheat yourself based on someone else's reading of this book. They said God as we understood him, and we is the first 100 in their experience, the first several thousand, and they told you of the tangible sensory experience they had. Power, peace, happiness, sense of direction flowing in. If that's not happening, then that isn't what they understood. They wrote down clearly what they understood. Does that make sense to you? 
So it says our will. How many of you have found the world doesn't always bow to your will? How many of you have discovered that it goes a little better even in difficult times if you quit fighting with what is? So I'm trying to get on board with what is and grow in conscious relation so that I can get prepared for where I'm going. Then it says, and our life. And I've heard people say my actions, but no, it's a deeper, deeper teaching than that. Have you ever watched anyone born? Many of you have seen someone born. They, they gasp their first breath, don't they? Have you ever seen anyone die? The last breath leaves them, don't they? So when we talk about our life, we're not talking about my actions. We're talking about my breath. I'm going to get my thoughts and my breath aligned with the creator of the universe. And then I'm going to try and grow in consciousness of that so that I can be a good instrument here on earth. You guys get the gravity of the decision? Okay. Then it says, just what do we mean by that and what do we do? I can still feel some of you contemplating the gravity of it, and I want to tell you congratulations. You should spend some time on this decision because the implication is you're going to carry it out. The first requirement is that we be convinced that any life run on self-will can hardly be a success. So how many of you are convinced? Based on what? Based on your experience. Now read the sentence again. Any life. It's not enough to be convinced on my experience. I've got to quit judging the way I think and feel by the way I see you act or hear you speak. I've got to be so certain in my walk that it doesn't matter what yours looks like. Does that make sense? It says on that basis we're almost always in collision with something or somebody even though our motives are good. How many of you have discovered when you checked your motives, whatever, still had some kerfuffles? Then it talks to us about our human condition. Most people try to live by self-propulsion. They're talking to us about a human condition, not an alcoholic condition. When they want to talk to us about an alcoholic condition, they'll say alcoholic. Each person is like an actor who wants to run the whole show, is forever trying to arrange the lights, the ballet, the scenery, and the rest of the players in his own way. If his arrangements would only stay put, if only people would do as he wished, the show would be great. Any of you ever thought about that? If everyone do it my way, this thing would go a lot smoother. Everybody, including himself, would be pleased. Life would be wonderful. And trying to make these arrangements, our actor may sometimes be quite virtuous. He may be kind, considerate, patient, generous, even modest, and self-sacrificing. Thank you. <laughs> Any of you besides Sean find yourself in that? I would encourage all of you to find yourself there. There's a little bit of good in the worst of us. There's a little bit of bad in the best of us. And we're trying to find our human condition so that we can weigh and measure the change coming over us and in others. Does that make sense? On the other hand, he may be mean, egotistical, selfish, and dishonest. Any of you find yourself there? 
Get honest with yourself. Do you find yourself more easily there than the other? Because that's a trick of the enemy, for those of you who read that other book. It's still on the line of self. Does that make sense? Self-importance and self-condemnation are on the same line of self. And self's the problem. But as with most humans, he's more likely to have varied traits. Yes? And as humans trying to help humans, I'm going to still have those traits and I'm going to encounter those traits. So I need to understand those are human traits. What usually happens? You end up at a re-entry center at a freaking recovery meeting <laughs> Thursday night when you could be doing something more fun, right? The show doesn't come off very well. He begins to think life doesn't treat him right. How many of you got to that point? Any of you really get deep in victim status? That's a terrible place to reside, isn't it? He decides, he decides to exert himself more. He becomes on the next occasion still more demanding or gracious as the case may be. Now, I may be trying to force you to my will or I may be trying to subordinate all my needs to you because I think you're going to provide my comfort. Any of you been that one? Any people pleasers in the room? Codependence, we like to call it nowadays. And still the play does not suit him. Admitting he may be somewhat at fault, he's sure that other people are more to blame. He becomes angry, indignant, self-pitying. What is his basic trouble? When they put a question mark in this book, it's time to go inward. That's the way you experience the book. Reading the book's not enough. Someone's got to show you how to read it so you experience it. That's what I'm trying to do now, help you experience their testimony. So there's a question mark. And I, I become angry, indignant, self-pitying based on right. what I perceive the world's doing to me. What is my basic trouble? I'm trying to manipulate the shit out of something. <laughs> so the authors were not quite as... What the authors say, and they don't tell me anything, they just pose a question. Is he not really a self-seeker even when trying to be kind? Did my kindness come with an expectation of your reaction? And I didn't necessarily know it did at the time I offered that act of kindness. I only knew it came with an attachment when I felt some kind of way when you did not respond the way I had hoped you would. Now you're starting to understand the nature of delusion, right? It wasn't that I did it and I wasn't kind. I didn't know my kindness had an attachment. I was trying to control the lights, the scenery, the ballet. <laughs> so then it says, is he not a victim of the delusion that he can wrest satisfaction and happiness out of this world if only he manages well? So the first thing to ask yourself is, did you know that was a delusion? Most of us didn't know that was a delusion. There's whole books telling you how to manage yourself well. You know who got rich because of those books? The liar that wrote them. <laughs> None of us got rich reading those books. Especially in this room. 
We're not going to wrest satisfaction and happiness out of the world because that's not where it's found. Satisfaction and happiness are found within you. If, you. if you're running out in the world looking for it, you're like that horse chasing the carrot on a stick. No matter how far you go, it's just out of reach. And we know that, right? We know it because we've experienced it. That's why the searching and fearless moral inventory of me, the searching fearlessly within, my satisfaction and happiness, my power and purpose are found within me. And then once I'm in it and walking in it, then I can be a distributor of said power and purpose. Yes? So as so it says, um, is it not evident to all the rest of the players that these are the things he wants? So how many of you have been around pretending you were in charge and someone found out you weren't in charge? In fact, they thought they were in charge. And you add a little bit of a spin up? Well, that's what they're talking about. And do not his actions make each of them wish to retaliate, snatching all they can get out of the show? Is he not, even in his best moments, a producer of confusion rather than harmony? Do my efforts to manipulate the way you think about me cause more confusion about who the hell I am than already existed? Any of you ever have that, like, have real trouble stabilizing your own thoughts about yourself? Like, one minute I'm great, I'm awesome. And the next second, I suck. <laughs> any of you ever had that happen to you? How many of you, while you're in one of those moments, decided that you could act in such a way to make someone else think differently about you? Yeah. Welcome to the nature of addictive disorder. Now, I've acted in a way that is not authentic to me in order to get you to like me. You still don't like me, but now the difference is I don't like me either. When we talk about getting relieved of the bondage of self later, that's what we're talking about. Those self-limiting thoughts, that's the bondage of self. The idea that I'm going to have all of you 100% in agreement on how awesome I am all the time is pure delusion. All right, so our actor is self-centered, egocentric, as people like to call it nowadays. He's like the retired businessman who lolls in the Florida sunshine in the winter, complaining of the sad state of the nation. The minister who sighs over the sins of the 20th century, politicians and reformers who are sure all would be utopia if the rest of the world would only behave. The outlaw safecracker who thinks society has wronged him, and the alcoholic who has lost all and is locked up. Whatever our protestations are not most of us concerned with ourselves, our resentments, or our self-pity. Now I point out to you something about this book. It's written in past tense at this stage of our development. So every one of them has been through the step experience and is gauging in, in endeavoring to help people. And so they know this to be true about them. You're not expected if you haven't been through the process to know this about yourself, which is why we don't really want you to change the words like some people have you do. It's written in a way that's not assaultive to the ego so that you can do self-discovery by yourself. Not have somebody's opinion of you because condemnation from outside is not helpful when I'm full of condemnation on the inside. Does that make sense? 
So it says selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our trouble. Driven by a hundred forms of fear, self-delusion, self-seeking, and self-pity, we step on the toes of our fellows and they retaliate. Sometimes they hurt us seemingly without provocation, but we invariably find that at some time in the past, we've made decisions based on self, which later placed us in a position to be hurt. So that's why I give you that whole caveat. We're not suggesting that if you were harmed as a child or even as an adult in some kind of abusive relationship, that you necessarily had a part in that, because you probably don't. No one deserves to be treated that way. But if years later, having survived that, you're dying in your unforgiveness of that, then your part is your unwillingness to let go of that in order to move into something else. And I and, and not trying to be condemning there, when I first got into recovery and was starting to go through this process, the only reason I had to live was to get back at the sons of bitches. <laughs> some of you are laughing because you know what I'm talking about, and some of you... So I, until I had better tools, I could not lay that down. But the manner of living allowed me at the pace that God prepared me to lay that down for better armor. Does that make sense? But you're going to have to go through the process. Don't, don't assume if you're reading this book or someone's telling you what to do that you're, you're where they are. And don't, if you're taking people through the steps, assume that who you're taking through the steps is where they are because they're writing in past tense. Make sense? So it says, our, so our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. So where'd they say the solution was found? Deep down inside. And where'd they tell us the main problem was found? In our mind. In our mind. So neither the problem or the solution are found outside of me. Which is why they learned later, basically, of our own making. They arise out of ourselves, and the alcoholic, now they're talking about me, maybe you. Before, they were just talking about people, right? The alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. So regular people, they're regular examples of self-will run riot. I have discovered that I am an alcoholic. I'm an extreme example of self-will run riot, and I don't think so. What's the likelihood without an entire psychic change that I'm going to do well. Very low likelihood. <laughs> Very good. I got exactly right. <laughs> I got the thumbs down back there, man. He knows what's up. Okay. So above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. People have misread that. The rest of the world's going to do what the rest of the world's going to do. But I have discovered I have a condition called alcoholism. So that selfishness that Maybe their dubious luxury is not a survivable event for me. So I must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it kills us. What kills us? My selfishness. Which I don't even know what it is until I've discovered because I was deluded about it. And it says God. Oh, you're sleeping. God Power. makes that possible. 
So let me remind you, where are we going to find this power? Deep down inside. How are we going to find it? Sometimes we're going to have to search fearlessly. So if I want the possibility of being rid of self, they're laying out to me this decision. And there often seems no way of entirely getting rid of self without his aid. Now some people, less experienced or aware of their experience, will go, oh, that's just crazy. But think about being rid of self. How is one rid of self? If you're aware of self, there you are. Any of you ever acted selflessly and then took a selfie of it? <laughs> Any of you ever done something just completely out of kindness and then thought, my, how giving of me. So even in our best moments, I can't get rid of me. The minute I'm aware of me, there I am. Which means the only way that's going to happen is this new power I've found within me, who finds a way to act selflessly through me in spite of sometimes my interventions. Any of you ever acted better than you were thinking? What do you think that is except this power operating through you? Okay. So it says, it says, many of us had moral and philosophical convictions galore, but we could not live up to them even though we would have liked to. Any of you ever had moral and philosophical convictions that you held people to but couldn't demonstrate? Most of us. Would you like to gain access to power that would let you demonstrate it? Because that's what the manner of living offers. Neither could we reduce our self-centeredness much by wishing or trying on our own power. We had to have God's help. We had to have power's help. That's their emphatic declaration. So this is the how and the why of it. First of all, we had to quit playing God. It didn't work. So are we there? Me running around pretending I'm in charge of all of that isn't working? And I maybe need to come under authority and do something a little different. Next, we decided that here and after in this drama of life, God was going to be our director. He's the principal and we're his agents. He's the father and we're his children. Guys, you hear chaps say it all the time. You hear me say it all the time. This journey here through this manner of living through whatever we pour into you before you get here, while you're here, and after you leave. Our sole purpose is to restore to you your identity. Amen. Society has taken from you your identity, and we want you to have it back. And the only way you're going to know that is to know who you are and whose you are. And that's why they're talking to you about he's the father and we are his children. Some of you are feeling that. Yeah. And then they go on to explain, most good ideas are simple. That's pretty simple, isn't it? And this concept was the keystone of the new and triumphant arch through which we passed to freedom. What concept? There is a God, it isn't me, but I am of him. Yeah? This is my hand, this is my thumb. My thumb is part of my hand, but it is not my hand. 
Does that make sense? For those of you who have a hard time grasping the divine. Okay. When we sincerely took such a position, all sorts of remarkable things followed. Any of you students of that other book? Signs and wonders follow us. Yes? Anyone know what I'm talking about? Any of you ever walk around here and seen the signs and wonders? So it says we had a new employer. Being all-powerful, he provided what we needed if we kept close to him and performed his work well. So how would I keep close to this new employer? Where is he found? How is he found? Sometimes I have to search fearlessly, and then I've got to seek to grow in consciousness, awareness of being aware. So this is going to form the basis of a relationship that empowers my walk in this new manner of living. Does that make sense? And then what is this work? Yeah, in this book, you're going you're gonna to go help people a lot like you. The other book says, if you love me, feed my sheep. Not much difference in those two. <laughs> Established on such a footing, we became less and less interested in ourselves. So if self was the problem, and in this footing I'm now walking on, I'm becoming less and less interested in myself, am I now describing a progressive recovery to overtake that progressive illness I had been suffering? It's kind of cool, isn't it? And then it says our little plans and designs. How many of you have realized that you're part of a much bigger plan as you've grown in the spirit? This is the appropriate time. Those of you that are new to here and you haven't ever heard us tell the story here, Denise and I were sitting in a kitchen in a condominium about 800 square feet and the floor was coming up and she was writing letters to people in prison. She started with about a dozen and then she got to 100 and then it got to 400 and then we had a worldwide pandemic and we were running around trying to help people one at a time. And then we met some people who said, boy, this would be easier to do under one roof. And so we went and talked to them and the guy with the money to do it says, wow, that sounds like a great idea. Now I need you to think about this. We're going to get 400 people freshly released from prison. We're going to bring them to the middle of the city. We're going to plop them in a hotel. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> the reason I mentioned the worldwide pandemic was because we had to get seven zoning variances to do this. And were it not for the pandemic, people would have shown up to the hearing. But because of the pandemic, no one came to the hearing. And this is the part where we sing, he made a way where there was no way. And I believe he's going to do it again. Yeah? Much less and less interested in our little plans and designs because there was a much bigger plan in play. And I tell you all, within the sound of my voice, you are part of that bigger plan. More and more we became interested in seeing what we could contribute to life. 
as we felt new power flow in, as we enjoyed peace of mind. Now they told me I would be restless, irritable, and discontent, and now they're telling me I'm going to feel power flowing in. I'm going to enjoy peace of mind. As we discovered we could face life successfully, we became conscious of his presence. And the evidence of being conscious of his presence is we begin to lose our fear of today, tomorrow, or the hereafter. We're reborn. Any of you got that? That's third step. Thanks much. See you in a week.